Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. All right, well, let's get into the word this morning. Let's, let's just pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence. God, I pray that your word would be in me as a fire shut up in my bones. Father, that your word would come today and that it would divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Father, I pray that, uh, that the words that I speak would not be with human wisdom, but God would be in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God, we trust you this morning with the word. Fill our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us as, as you give me the words to speak this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm going to need some reactions this morning, all right? Some communication. You know, they say, they say preaching is not a monologue, but it's a dialogue, right? So it's talking back and forth. So let's talk back and forth a little bit this morning. Amen. Amen. There we go. Amen. All right. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll preach better. If there's some dialogue. So if you want good preaching this morning, there's going to have to be some dialogue. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Mimi knows what I'm talking about. All right. So last week, uh, last week we began talking on the subject of unity. And it's something the Lord has just been uh, working in our hearts uh, these past few weeks. And, uh, and so we started this, this topic of unity. I'm going to continue that this morning. Last week we talked about the tether that binds us together. What is that tether that binds us together? What is it that creates unity within us? It's a pop quiz. I'm asking the question. Does anybody know what the tether is? Love. Absolutely. The tether that binds us together, the tether that brings unity is love. It's not agreement. It's not like interests. It's not any of those things. The tether that binds us together is love. That if we can love one another more, if, if the power of our love for one another is greater than the power of our disagreement, then we can have unity. But until that happens, it's going to be awfully hard to have unity. I'm, I'm skipping way ahead in my notes. Unity is fragile without love. Because all it takes to shatter unity is an offense it's a, it's a, a, it doesn't even have to be a big disagreement, a slight disagreement. And any, of, any of these things can break apart unity without love. But if we love each other more, if the power of our love for each other is greater than the power of our offense or the power of our disagreement, then unity can happen. Amen. The tether, the tether that brings us together is love. Amen. I shared with you a scripture last week. I want to dive a little bit deeper into it. Out of John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus is talking to his disciples. If, if you haven't noticed yet, I absolutely love John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. I, I think I have a scripture somewhere within those chapters almost every Sunday. All right. If, if you if you open my Bible, if you just throw my Bible on the ground, it's going to open to John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16 or 17. I just love these chapters. So the, one of the reasons I love these chapters is, is it's because, because John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is this conversation Jesus has with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And it's kind of these last comments 
that Jesus is making, these, these last teachings, these last words that Jesus is giving to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And how many of you know that a lot, oftentimes, when somebody knows that they're, they're about to pass along and they have one more chance to speak to somebody, that those are often some of the most important words that they have to speak to you. Because they don't have time for frivolous words. They don't have time for, for non-important things, but they're going to share with you the most important things they have to share with you. And so that's one of the reasons I love this, those chapters is because these are the last things Jesus is sharing with his disciples. And in John chapter 13, 34, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. At this point in time, the disciples have to be thinking and wondering, Jesus, why is this a new commandment? How many of you remember I, I mentioned this a little bit last week? Why is this a new commandment? To love each other. Moses, clear back in Leviticus, in the Levitical law, tells us to love each other as we love ourselves, to, or to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says it in Leviticus. I have the scriptures. He says it in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In the same chapter, verse 34, he says, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. That even, even the foreigner you are to love as yourself. He goes on, it says it, so it says it there in the New Testament, in the Mosaic law. But then even in the New Testament, Jesus talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 19, he's talking to the rich young ruler who came up to him and said, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? Good teacher, he says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus talks about obeying the commandments. And one of the things he says is to honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. In Mark 12, 31, they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment. He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, and the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So we see scattered throughout the entire Bible, clear from the beginning of the Bible with the Mosaic law, even into the New Testament when Jesus teaching him himself to love your neighbor as yourself. But then in John chapter 13, when he's with his disciples for the very last few hours that he's with his disciples, he looks at them and he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. He says, you need to love each other. And the disciples have to be going, Jesus I don't know if you know this or not, but this isn't new to us. We've grown up learning this commandment. We've grown up knowing this law to love our neighbor as yourself. We've heard it said over and over again. You've even taught us that over and over again. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know this one, Jesus. So why is it new? It's new because Jesus goes on and he says, he says this in the rest of the verse. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So what makes this commandment new? 
What makes this commandment new is that Jesus has now elevated the standard of love. Before, it was love your neighbor as yourself, as you love yourself. But now, you have to love your neighbor as Jesus has loved you. The standard has now been elevated. The standard has now been elevated. Why has it been elevated? Here's why it's been elevated. Before it was that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. Some of us can't forgive ourselves for something we did 30 years ago. Some of us have a really hard time loving ourselves well. So how then are we supposed to look at our neighbor and love them well when we have a hard enough time loving ourselves well and forgiving ourselves from things we did 20, 30 years ago. You know, I know people who have been divorced that have still not been able to forgive themselves for what had taken place or people who have maybe dealt with sin or different things or mistakes or, or uh, maybe j just mistakes they made in their past and they're unable to forgive themselves. So then how am I supposed to look at my neighbor and forgive them and love them when I can't even do that for myself? So Jesus now says, no, no, no. I'm gonna give you a new commandment. It's a new standard. Don't love them like you love yourself. Love them like I love you. And Jesus, his love caused him to sacrifice himself on a cross. His love caused him to look out in a crowd of people who just yelled, crucify, crucify, crucify. He looked at the soldiers who put the nails in his hands and the whips and the lashes on his back. And he looked down at them and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His love, his standard is the new standard of love. His standard is the new standard of love. I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. I'm going to read some of these things that I wrote here. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew you. And he knew you were going to screw things up before he ever breathed life into you. That should be liberating. <laughs> that he, before the foundation, it says, it says in, in, in the word that before the foundation of the world was ever laid, before he even made the planet, before he breathed life into your lungs, he was the lamb that was slain. He knew he was going to have to sacrifice himself because he knew that you were going to screw it up, Right? But he still breathed life into you. He still breathed life into you, even though he knew that you were going to mess it up. The reason it is a new commandment is because before we just had to love people as we loved ourselves. But now we have to love each other as he loved us. And he went to the cross because of his love. If we ever want unity, if we ever want the world to know that we are his disciples then it's not going to be because we have learned to agree with one another and just to get along. It's not going to be because we have church services together. And it's not even going to be because of our outreaches to the community, as good as they are. The block party was a huge success. We, we were able to reach the city with the love of Jesus. But it doesn't say that those outreaches are how they know that we are his disciples. 
We can have great outreaches, but be a mess as a family, right? It's none of those things that are going to show the world that we are followers of Jesus. But the love we each share with each other, the sacrificial, unearned, unconditional love we have for one another, that will show the world that we are his disciples. That is what will bring unity within us. Not our church services. Not our perfect agreement. If, it, if, it, if it's going to take perfect agreement for us to come into unity, like I said last week, Houston, we have a problem, right? We may have one or two we'll get along with until maybe we hit something. There's going to, every person in here carries an opinion, right? And not every opinion is the same. <laughs> so if it's, if it's perfect shared opinions that brings unity, then we have a problem. But if it's love for one another, sacrificial, unearned love for one another, if we have that, then we will have unity with one another. Amen? Amen. Then we will have unity. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And listen, that's not easy. Loving each other like Jesus loved us, unconditional, sacrificial love is not easy. Can I get an amen for that one? Amen. It's not easy to love someone like that when they are doing things they're not supposed to. Right? When you know that they're doing things they're not supposed to, it's hard to love them like that. It's not easy to love someone like that when, you di when they disagree or you disagree with them. Right? So earlier this week, we had some issues with our car. Right? <laughs> Not, nothing bad. The check engine light came on. We took it down to the, uh, uh, to the uh, what's it called? Yeah, but the Chevy dealership. Thank you. I speak for a living, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the Chevy dealership. <laughs> so we took the car down to the Chevy dealership. And we took it there, and not to Townsend's. Normally we go to Townsend's, but we have a warranty with the Chevy dealership on our vehicle. So we took it down to Townsend's, or not to Townsend's, to the Chevy dealership. And, uh, and we, we, they took a look at it. Uh, long story short, there were some different issues. And, uh, and he looked at me and, and he said, well, uh, the warranty's going to cover this, but it's not going to cover this. And I said, excuse me? And we had a disagreement <laughs> there in the shop. And the last thing I wanted to do was look at that guy and say, you know, I would die for you right now. <laughs> if somebody came in, I would take a bullet for you right this minute. You know, that was, there were, I may have been thinking someone's going to die right now, but it wasn't. <laughs> I'm going to die for you, right? It's hard to love somebody with unconditional, unearned love when you're in disagreement. It's difficult. It's easy to say. It's easy for me to stand up here and tell you this is the way it is. It's much harder to walk it, right? It's not easy to love someone like that, love someone like Jesus when they speak ill of you to other people. That's a hard one. That's a real hard one. When you know that behind your back, they're speaking ill of you. It's hard to look at that person. And it's hard to love them like Jesus loved them. But that's the standard that was given to us. That's the standard that was given to us.
Let's look at Jesus. What was Jesus doing right before he made this statement in Matthew or in John chapter 13? What was Jesus doing right before he made this statement? To love one another as I have loved you. In John chapter 13, verse 1, we're going to start in verse 1. He sa- it says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. Pay attention to these, these statements here. He knew that it was his hour, that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that he had come from, and that he had come from God and would reach, return, return to God. I love this chapter because it, it gives you this inside perspective of what's running through Jesus' mind in this moment. We have this inside perspective of what is running through Jesus' mind. And what's running through Jesus' mind is, is that, is, is these few things. He, he realizes that he's about to die. He knows that the hour is near for him to go to the cross. So he's processing that in this moment, that, that my time is coming to an end on the earth. It says, it says too that he, he loved his disciples well. So he knew that the disciples were ready at this point, that he had prepared them for what was about to come. He knew that the disciples were ready. He had done his job on earth, preparing the 12 disciples for what was about to come. He also knew at this moment that Satan had already entered into Judas's mind and heart and that Judas was already prepared to betray him. All of this is flooding through his mind. And this one is amazing to me. At this point in time, he also realizes that the Father has given him all authority. That any word that would come out of his mouth would be accomplished in that moment. Because he had all authority, not of just those in the room with him. He had authority of the entire cosmos. The entire universe the entire world, he was under his jurisdiction and under his authority in this moment. So all of these things are going through Jesus's mind in this moment. All of these things are going through Jesus's mind. What does Jesus do? Knowing all of these things, what does Jesus do? Let's look at verse four. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet and drying them with the towel he had around his waist. He had all authority in the cosmos. He had all authority. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew Judas was about to betray him. And his reaction, his response was to wash the disciples' feet. The job of washing feet in that time belonged to a servant woman. But here, Jesus, the man who has all authority, who knows every little secret, who had never sinned, bends down and begins to tenderly 
wash the feet of the disciples. Let's take a quick inventory of, who's, of who was in the room at that moment. Peter. We all know Peter was there because Peter makes a whole big deal about it, right? We're not going to get into it, but he, he, Peter is really good at making big deals, making big scenes. So he does that here. But Peter's in the room. Who is Peter? Peter is the one Jesus had to rebuke for listening to the devil by saying, get behind me, Satan. Remember that? You think your boss was tough on you. I bet he's never looked at you and said, get behind me, Satan. You know? <laughs> like, but Peter had to be rebuked. Jesus knew he would soon abandon him. Very familiar story where Peter is gung-ho, Jesus, I will die with you. If you're going to die, I'm going to die. But then when the rubber met the road, he denied him three times that he even knew him. And, and Jesus knew all of that. Um, generally, Peter was prideful and hot-headed. So this was Peter. Who else was in the room? James and John, the sons of thunder. They got the best nicknames in the Bible. James and John, the sons of thunder. You know why they're called the sons of thunder? Because they themselves had a hot temper. They asked Jesus one time. Jesus was walking through the Samaritan village. And the Samaritans, uh, the Samaritans wouldn't accept Jesus' teachings. And they were kind of coming against Jesus. And you know what James and John did? They said, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire and consume all of these people? Jesus is like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that, that's okay. Cool your jets. Like, it's all right. We don't need to murder an entire town because they don't like me. It's okay. Right? So this is James and John, the sons of the, this is James and John, the same ones who had their mommy ask Jesus if one could sit at the right and the left of the throne. Right? You remember that? I love that story. You got James, the sons of thunder, but their mom had to ask Jesus if they could sit on the right and on the left when Jesus came into his kingdom. And that, that, that stirred up the rest of the disciples and they were all mad at each other because they were all vying for a place of authority, right? So James and John, th these, these guys are in the room. Who else is in the room? Matthew, who was a previous tax collector. And as we've talked about so many times, everybody hated the tax collector. You think you guys hate tax season. They hated taxis and tax collectors were known as thieves. They were known as, as, as people who would take the right amount for the right amount of tax for the government, but then they would pocket a little bit of it for themselves. So Matthew, a tax collector, is there. Simon, who was a member of a group of zealots who had no problem killing people for their cause. Simon was there. Bartholomew, who the most you know about Bartholomew in the Bible is that his name is Bartholomew, <laughs> and he was a disciple, that, he, that this was the guy with the weird name, right? And nobody, you don't read about, he, he did, apparently didn't do anything worthy enough to be credited or be recorded in scripture, so nobody, Bartholomew was there. Obviously, there were others, but we cannot forget this one, Judas. Judas Iscariot, who the beginning of this chapter, it tells us that Jesus already was fully aware what Judas was about to go and to do. But he was there in that line, and Jesus moved the basin over to Judas, poured water on his feet, washed him.
and patted him dry with the towel around his waist, knowing full well what was already in Judas's heart to do. We've been given a new standard. How do we love people? We love them like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He knelt down in front of his betrayer, who just hours later would go to the high priest and sell him out. And he washed his feet. That's our standard of love. What brings unity? That we love each other. No matter the differences, no matter the problems, no matter the issues. We love each other like Jesus loved us. Why is this important? How does this bring unity? It brings unity because, or it's important because when you look at all of these disciples, after this foot washing service, and obviously there was the events of the crucifixion, the resurrection, all these things. But these 12 men go on to change the entire world together. These men go on to change the entire world together. Peter and John go to the house, to the temple of prayer. They encounter a man there who was lame from his mother's womb. And the man asks for money. And the, Peter and John say, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you. And they pull the man up and he walks. And I love what happens the, because, the, because it causes this uproar. When they, when, within the crowd, this uproar happens. And they go before the high priest because, of course, the high priest don't like what's happening because Jesus' name is still being preached. They killed this man, but he's still causing this kind of change. So they bring Peter and John before the high priest. They question them. And they look at them and they, they say, how do these guys know so much? He says, we could tell that they've been with Jesus. So these men do these great things together. Uh, other things happen. They're all together in one accord, praying. When a sound of rushing mighty wind comes through and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit because they were all together in one accord. It says in Acts that they shared everything they had. That there was nobody who was in want in that community because they all shared everything they had and they made sure that nobody was in lack because their unity together was so strong. They performed signs, wonders, and miracles at Solomon's porch. And it said that the people stayed back, but they honored them and they saw what was on them. And it says that, that thousands came to know the gospel and the love of Jesus because of their unity together. Because of their unity together. These men went on missionary trips together. They were persecuted together. Some of them were executed together for the gospel. These men went on and changed the world. And let me tell you something. It wasn't because they were terrific leaders it wasn't because they had 
all of their acts together. It wasn't because they were in full agreement with one another. We see throughout, even in the book of Acts, where they had disagreements with one another. So they, they had all of these issues. It wasn't, it wasn't their, their excellence and their, their agreement and their leadership that caused them to go and change the world. But it was their unity and their love for one another that caused them to go and to change the world. When Jesus is finished washing the disciples' feet, he stands up and he teaches them. He says, if I, your teacher, can wash your feet, you turn now and wash each other's. How did they change the world? They changed the world because they learned how to wash each other's feet and to honor each other and to humble themselves before one another and to love each other. And that unity caused the gospel to be spread throughout the entire world. Amen? Come on. Love is the tether. Love is what brings unity. John chapter 17. This is where I'm going to close. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. Jesus is, again, this is the last moments before he goes to the garden. So this is, this is what Jesus is praying over the disciples. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will ever believe in me through their message, which would be us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That scripture, man, if we could just grab a hold of, there's so much there in that scripture. The standard for unity that Jesus gave us was the unity that God, listen to this, was the unity that God the Father and Jesus the Son share. He says, let them love each other as you and I love each other. Let them be as one as you and I are one. That's a pretty high standard. That the unity we are to experience together is the same unity that the Father and Son share together. Obviously, I, I had to put this in here. Obviously, the Father and Son agree on everything. That, that Yahweh God, Yeshua, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, I don't think they have any debate sessions. Right? They're in perfect unity. They experience perfect unity. Um, and so, so I, I do think there will be a day when we are all staring in the face of Jesus. When we're no longer looking in a mirror that's dimly lit. When we will all have full revelation and understanding and be in perfect agreement 
and perfect understanding of theology and the scriptures and the Father. There will be a day when we all are in perfect unity and agreement. But that's not the standard Jesus gives us here at the end. Jesus doesn't say at the end, may they experience perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that they agree as you and I agree. That's not what it says. Instead, it says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That God says that the, the unity we experience between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that that unity, the strength of that unity isn't even our agreement, even though we do agree. But the strength of that unity is our love for one another. And our example is their unity. So if their unity, the strength of their unity is their love, then the strength of our unity is our love for one another. The strength of our unity, what causes us to be one, is our love for one another. I'm just going to end it right there this morning. The strength of our unity is our love for one another. Would you go ahead and just stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this new standard. And though this standard is high and it is difficult, God, I thank you that you never give us a standard that you do not give us the grace to reach. Father, I thank you that you give us the grace to reach the standard of love, that we would love one another as you have loved us. God, teach us how to wash each other's feet. Teach us how to, how to serve one another. Teach us how to humble ourselves before one another. Father, the stakes are high. The world is waiting for the body of Christ to come into full unity. Because through that unity, the world will know that we are disciples of Christ. It's through that unity that the world will know that you have been sent by the Father, that you, Jesus, are the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Teach us, Father, to love one another. God, let our unity not become fragile. God, I pray that the unity amongst this family, amongst this body of believers, God, even amongst the community that we're in of churches and and other believers, Father, that are outside of these walls. God, I pray that our unity would not be so fragile that it's dependent upon agreement and that's dependent upon not being an offense. God, but let our unity, let the strength of our unity be found in love for one another. Because I believe that in that kind of love, that, or that kind of unity produced by that kind of love, then the world around us will be changed. I believe through that unity, we will become repairers of cities and restorers of communities. That the city of Elwood will be wholly given over to the Lord. That, 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 that those things will change. That Fairmount, Father, will become a city wholly given over to the Lord. Father, that through that unity, we will begin to experience the power of the love of Jesus transforming the communities and the workplaces around us. Tether us together with love, Lord. Tether us together with love.
I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. I have written in my notes, I've written in my notes that today we need to wash somebody's feet. Now, I don't necessarily mean physically, although I have heard pedicures are pretty nice from other people. I mean, think of a way that you can humble yourself before somebody else, that you can love somebody like Jesus loves us, and be intentional about stepping out and washing somebody's feet today. Amen? Or in, in this week even, washing somebody's feet. And I believe that as we begin to come into that kind of love for one another, man, the communities around us won't know what's coming, won't know what's going to hit them because of the unity that we share with one another. Amen? Amen.